Welcome to Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. I'm your co-host, Erin Todd. I'm a writer and an intuitive eater. And I'm your co-host, Charlie Castle, registered dietitian and exercise physiologist. We're here to help you discover whole health for your mind, body, and soul. That's right. Our goal is to embody scripture, ditch dieting, and live on purpose. Woo! Woo! Yes, girl. Welcome back to Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. We are continuing our book club series, and the next book we are going to read together as a community is called Food, Body, and Love, But the Greatest of These is Love, and it's by Dr. Carrie Anderson. So if you want to read along with us, go grab your copy of the book now wherever you buy books and get started reading. Then mark your calendar for our November 8, 2022 noon Eastern Time meeting. At the book club meeting, we're going to get together over Zoom and discuss the book, share our takeaways, talk through the hard parts, and best of all, we get to have the author, Dr. Carrie Anderson, join us for the Zoom to do a Q&A. You have to become a member to access the book club meeting itself, but you can just join for the month of the meeting and then cancel your monthly membership after that if you like. No hard feelings, we promise. Before we get into our conversation today with Dr. Carrie Anderson, since we haven't had the chance to have her do a full regular interview on the podcast yet, let me tell you a little bit about her. Carrie earned her Doctor of Behavioral Health with her research project, The Mindful Eating Cycle, Treatment for Binge Eating Disorder at Arizona State University in 2012. Co-creator of the Am I Hungry? Mindful Eating for Binge Eating program, Carrie also co-authored the acclaimed book, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat for Binge Eating, a mindful eating program for healing your relationship with food and your body. Her newest book and memoir, Food, Body, and Love, But the Greatest of These is Love, is what we're here to talk about today. Carrie holds a faculty position with the Eating Disorder Institute for Plymouth State University in New Hampshire and serves on the certification committee for the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, supporting supervisors for the Certified Eating Disorder Specialist designation. Carrie is a licensed counselor, coach, consultant, supervisor, author, speaker, and blogger on disordered eating, behavior change strategy, and weight neutrality. She lives in the greater Phoenix area in Arizona with her husband, Brian, and therapy dog, Gretel. Before we jump into this episode today with Dr. Anderson, as a reminder for all of our podcast episodes, this program is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. Our aim is to introduce you to the principles of intuitive eating and help you see how those principles align with scripture so you can improve your relationship with food, your body, and God, and cast out dieting for good. All right, let's go talk with Dr. Anderson. Hello and welcome, Dr. Anderson. We're glad to have you with us today. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So today we're really talking about food, body, and love. I know you have several amazing books, but this is the one that um, Shar and I read this summer, and um, it really 
it really spoke to me and I'm really excited for you to share um, a little bit about why uh, you wrote this book and just kind of this, the God story behind this book. There always is one. So let's hear it. Right. Yes. So um, this is a memoir, uh, but it also, I would say it's considered self-help in the sense that it has a lot of um, uh, a lot of education in terms of um, the body, psychology, in terms of, because uh, I am a psychotherapist. And, um, but it is also a memoir and it tells my story. And I felt inspired to tell my story um, because I think that um, after being in the eating disorder world for 30 years, I feel like this population that I so have so much passion for people that struggle um, with what we call loss of control eating or uh, overeating, some people might call it um, food addiction. Um, I don't care what they call it. They just don't feel good. They feel a lot of shame. Um, it's a really under recognized, underserved population. Um, of people. And I, I think that a lot of uh, the restrictive disorders, um, maybe even, you know, the, the restrict binge purge um, behaviors get a lot more attention. And I felt like I needed to come forward as a leader in the eating disorder field um, and say, hey, <laughs> I had this and I had it bad. <laughs> so, um, and that's what got me into uh, the treatment of eating disorders uh, over 30 years ago was after my own recovery. So my story starts when I was eight years old. And when I was eight years old, we had um, a lot of losses all in a row um, what happened was my maternal grandmother died of breast cancer after a very short illness. Um, my mother went in to um, uh, get a regular checkup shortly after that and found that she had uh, uterine cancer. And so then she went in to the hospital and was gone and was in recovery. And then her father died. <laughs> so within a year after mother of a massive heart attack. And my mom went into a, such a, um, really a catatonic-like depression. Um, some of my book explains the, with the, the loss combined, combined with what we call a dorsal vagal injury, which would a surgery uh, below the diaphragm. I don't want to get too technical, but it really explains, explains to me from a scientific view why she became depressed. She, came, she became depressed right after also that we moved and we moved to a completely new community. And um, subsequently she just wasn't available for me. I mean, it breaks her heart <laughs> to hear this story. Um, and I keep telling her that, uh, you know, that, that I absolutely have no ill will or blame. It's just, you know, things happen. And so what happened was then there was also some, uh, and I didn't get too graphic. It's it's not something that would trigger anybody, I don't think. But then I also had some new boys in the neighborhood that entered me into some child play that was sexualized. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, I didn't I, I didn't feel I could tell anybody. 
and I started turning to sugar. <laughs> so that's the, the beginning of my story is that there was this time in my life that I was very uh, anxious, very fearful, and I turned to sugar. And my dad just had opened up a restaurant and I would steal the sugar packets out of the stock room. I'd fill my you know, my uh, pockets and whatnot with sugar packets. And I would go into the, the women's bathroom and I would just eat raw sugar. I would just pour it down my throat and I felt better. <laughs> and so it worked. Mm -hmm. And what, what happened at that point was that the neural pathways in my brain became so um, uh, ingrained um, this path of least resistance in my brain that anytime I felt anxiety or emotional upset that I would just turn to sugar. It was automated. Mm -hmm. And I lived with this um, for a very long time. I still feel it. I still have urges and cravings when I get stressed, but I recognize it and I'm able to say, oh, I know what this is. It's going to be okay let me calm you down. Now I'm talking to my body and I, <laughs> I talk about this in my book about befriending your body and being able to be such in tune with it that um, as if it's a friend, in fact, it's the, the most enduring relationship that we have in our entire life because we're born in our body and we are with our body until we die, until we get a new one. Um, and so so essentially, it's about my journey and how it turned into a full-blown binge eating disorder in my teens following a restrictive diet. Mm -hmm. Happened to be Weight Watchers. I hear the same story from everybody. Um, how something as benign as a food plan like Weight Watchers could trigger so many people. <laughs> but yeah. if you have the propensity for an eating disorder, any type of restriction is going to create that food insecurity. And then we have this um, counteraction, right? Because our body's afraid, our brain's afraid that we're not going to get enough. And emotionally, we feel like we're not going to get enough. And so therefore we overcompensate. So I went in this journey of binge eating disorder. Now in the seventies is when I had this binge eating disorder um, and um, they didn't know what it was. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody, nobody knew what this was. And so I just thought I was a failed dieter that I had no willpower. And, um, and subsequently it turned into a full blown eating disorder. So it tells my journey. Um, and, um, so that's how, um, the, the other thing, one more thing, and I feel like I'm just doing all the talking, but anyway, let me just tell one more thing about how this came to be. <laughs> I love to talk. So, <laughs> um, is through my 30 years of treating eating disorders, I learned more and more about, and then subsequently at age 50, I went back and actually got my doctorate degree. And I, I got a lot of training in biological and neurological sciences at that time. And um, I had this real epiphany, you know, the, the clouds parted, the sun came, sun came out and I said, I understand from a biological and neurological perspective why I got an eating disorder. I know why this happened. Mm -hmm. And I felt compelled um, to then mix my theology in terms of my, my belief that God is love 
an understanding about the brain and the body and how God made us and created us to be in relationship and to be our bodies to be in a state of love and not in a state of fear. And so that's where the idea was born is to shout to them on the rooftops, hey guys, it's not your fault. God made us in a certain way and we get off track with fear, but we can get back on track. And um, and I want to tell you all about it. So that's what the book is about. <laughs> uh, it's so good. It's such a it it met such a need for me personally and for clients I work with and the podcast listeners. Like this book is gold, Dr. Carrie Anderson, and we needed it. It is so good. One of the things that I love the most about it is it's such a good mix of the memoir and the science. Yes. Um, like, so I despised reading as a kid and I never actually read a full book until I was a senior in high school. And it was, it was a memoir that like caught me. And I, then I just, that was my thing. I loved reading memoirs, loved reading about people's lives. And so when I started reading this book, I was like, Ooh, this is taking me back. Like this is very memoir-y and I, I just really enjoyed it. But then there was so much science stuff in there. Um, that was even new to me. The term vagal tone was totally new to me. Um, and I'm sure it is to many people listening. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So there's this magnificent, um, nerve. It's the largest nerve in the body. It's a cranial nerve. Um, that starts at the um, and connects to all of our cranial nerves um, in our face. Um, but then it wanders through our entire body um, and it connects our face. And I'll talk about that in a moment, but our face and our heart. Um, it goes through our vocal cords and that all that's part of helping to tone it. it it's connected to the eardrum. Um, and then it, it winds down, it's connected to heart and lungs. And then also goes, and it it is woven throughout our gut. So um, it's part. It's connected to the enteric brain. And if you don't know, there's there's a brain. Yes, there's a brain in our gut that's um, has a more neural uh, transmitters produced there, and um, and nerve endings than our brain. And so um, it's pretty fascinating. We're learning a lot more about that. But anyway, what the vagus nerve does, if you've ever heard of the gut-brain access, it connects the gut to the brain. And, and there's more, there's 80% of the communication in our body through that nerve that goes from the gut to the brain and only 20% from the brain to the gut. So we truly, uh, as we start to learn to embody ourselves, meaning that we um, we can listen to the wisdom that our body gives us. It gives us signals all the time um, in terms of how to take care of our, our body, but it also um, is the, the leader in terms of creating our immune system, um, regulating our nervous system, all kinds of stuff going on with this nerve. So anyway, it's a super nerve, super, super highway. And, um, and so what it also is responsible for the vagus nerve is keeping us calm in a state of love is what I like to say. And it puts the brakes on when we get into an anxious state. 
But one of the other things that it can do is when, and it's it's a more um, uh, a much more protect uh, protective uh, function, as sometimes it teaches us or our body to shut down and collapse. And and what it does is kind of like I'm going to escape for a little bit. And if anyone ever have had kind of a dissociative episode or just kind of going offline. And um, especially through binge eating, uh, those that do that food, <clears throat> when we eat too much food and our body is overloaded um, and we're taxed, it will shut down into this state. And so um, it's kind of like we just go away for a little while. And sometimes we have, you know, we need to go away for a little while, but that's kind of a ma maladaptive way. So what happens when we have um, maybe childhood trauma or some other type of trauma is the vagal nerve is more sensitive. Um, no, it's not sensitive, sorry. <laughs> it's more dulled and it's not very reactive. So what happens is it's slow to put on the brakes. It's kind of like, we need to stay alert. We need you to be in this sympathetic fight flight because you know, you tricked me once, you're not going to trick me again, meaning that I need to be on guard. So what happens is then we're always trying to use food because food will calm us down and put us into that parasympathetic or rest and digest. And so food works really well to, to calm the body um, and to notify the vagus nerve to, to kind of shut down um, or shut the, the system down that's in this fight or flight. So what we've learned is that we can actually help tone the vagus nerve through many types of activities so that we aren't as anxious and we can, we can find this state of love, which I, it's the ventral vagal state, which is the state that God wants us to be in, meaning it's a state of connection, um, safety, uh, it's a state of calm, uh, clarity, creativity, courage. I mean, we call eight C's. Um, uh, but anyway, so the book really goes into part of in the love section in terms of the um, is how do we create this state? How can we attune our body and um, tone our vagus nerve so that we can live more in this state of love and less in a state of fear? Wow. <laughs> That's so good. I, it actually, the, actually the book is, um, I mean, it is quite kind of sciencey, but I don't, I don't want people to be afraid of that because I, I had a, um, editor that really helped me with that, um, the body section of the book, which taught, and, and she was able to really put these concepts in really, um, understandable, um, and not intimidating form. Would you agree? Would you? I, I absolutely agree okay. with that. Yeah, I thought that it was really, really good. That it was okay. really, really good. And you do a good job of encouraging the reader, like stick with me just a little, you know, and you're going to get this. And um, it was, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. I think the science in there, uh, if we hadn't said, hey, expect some science, might have thrown a couple of people for a loop, but we've been telling this community of women, like, don't be afraid of the science, like mm -hmm. learn about it. And it's so powerful. Um, 
your book, even probably more so than um, Hayes, Health at Every Size, is like I, the moments of light bulb and understanding of what is happening in my body specifically with like understanding the triggers and the emotions and why things happen the way they happen was more impactful from the way you explained polyvagal theory and just all of that. Like that was more important to me and had more relevance in my life than understanding weight management stuff because it's Mm. emotions are (laughs) all day, every day. And if I, even if I surrender weight, which I have, like I still got some emotions and I need to know what's going on Mm -hmm. in the old body. And it really helps to understand. Um, I think it's such a beautiful and powerful blend of understanding what's going on because you've explained it, but also giving people some practical action steps of like, and here's what you do with that information. Like, this is how you can care for yourself now that you understand what's going on um, in a, in a really, really helpful way, especially for people that have um, struggled with binging um, mm-hmm. and difficult emotions and not really had the uh, tools or skills to, to cope with that in a way that's um, helpful for them. Yes. Thank you. And, you know, I have gotten feedback that this book is helpful for anyone. You don't have to struggle with an eating disorder. <laughs> honestly because it's under the context of an eating disorder um but honestly I think anybody that has had strong emotions um and and don't need don't know how to handle them Mm -hmm. that I think that this is a roadmap um for them to be able to and and to really learn how to care for their body and the science I think it just validates that um I, we're not, I'm not crazy and I'm, there's not something wrong with me. All of this really makes sense. I think it's a shame reducer. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Science is a shame reducer. How about that? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I have a, a quote uh, in the book um, that says, the more I learn about, the more I know about science, the more I believe in God. And, you know, it's like we've, I think that um, our culture has seen those as dichotomous, mm-hmm. but um, I, the way that once you learn about the nervous system and the way that's head heart, mm-hmm. the face heart connection and about safety, um, you go, oh, <laughs> we were born, we were created to be connected with other people. And um, and our body wants to feel safe. And, you know, you think about the number of times in, um, in the Bible that it talks about um, fear, you know, obviously this is a problem for human beings. Yeah, <laughs> and I the re- with you. Yeah. And the reason it's a problem for human beings is because in order for us to survive, our body had to be alert to all the dangers and to make sure that people were safe. Because, you know, there's some some bad people out there um, that, you know, have gone the wrong way. I mean, we, (laughs) whole new test, I mean, the Old Testament. Um, But um, so, so when, when you study that, you go, oh, this is God's design. Well, this makes all the sense in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why um, that, you know, I get really excited about that stuff. When science confirms my faith. Yeah, that's that's my jam. Yeah. I always say like the more I study science, the more mm-hmm. like God's word is just true to me because mm-hmm. they are totally mirrored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that um in fact, 
you know, I talk a lot about um, how people and love and, and God are healers. Um, and with eating disorders, it's a very isolative and shameful, um, uh, people feel shameful um, in their behaviors. And in this culture, especially if you have a larger body, um, you get, um, even more shamed. And then interestingly, <laughs> the way that you eat, you're, you're judged by in, but this, this, uh, at least our American culture and it's any, the Western culture, um, it's just driven by the food industry. <laughs> So we've get this really perfect storm that we're all in is that we have constant cues and um, that, you know, food, 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 um, and then, but don't eat it <laughs> and look this certain way. And so it causes this real cognitive dissonance in us. And that's why we go underground and it, it's secret. And, um, and then we have so much shame over that. And that's part of the diagnosis, of course, for binge eating disorder has to do with, with the self-loathing that takes place um, because it goes such against um, our culture and our, our value for the thin ideal. Um, and so we have this huge gap between our actual behaviors and what we want to be doing. And that just rips our heart out, you know? And so in, in this book, it's kind of like, I, I say, let's just climb up and <laughs> in God's lap and let him just heal us um, uh, with his unconditional love and regard and his wisdom um, because he knows the truth. And, um, and so I have a lot of healing activities in there like that. And so when we isolate and then we further isolate if we don't feel safe. And so in my childhood, I had a hard time trusting people, especially men. Um, and um, so there was this disconnect and I turned to food as my, um, my boyfriend and my lover <laughs> um, because it was very, very safe. And to find out uh, when I studied the, um, the neurology of, of this act of binging, it uses all the same um, nerves um, and what we call neuroception, such as uh, chewing, swallowing, um, um, and the sensory experience of eating food, it likens to this very same pathways for connecting with people. And so there's actually a scientific explanation of why we turn to food for our connection. And so this book also has a pathway that talks about how do we slowly move into trusting, you know, leaving the attachment to food as the safe place and moving into relationship with others. And it first talks about relationship with God um, as the safe relationship then moving in slowly with yourself and then to others because that takes the most risk um, and um, and it, it, it helps you to, to make that transition as well. 
This is so good. I feel like I could talk to you for five hours about all of this. Like, oh, I just want to know more. But if people want to know more, they're going to have to go read the book. Yes. Yes. What would you say to women that are contemplating reading the book and joining our book club? Hmm. I would just ask that they be open to see what God might be uh, showing them. Maybe there's a hurt that they they didn't remember. And by by listening to my story of of how I was wounded and how I healed, um, that maybe that would be inspirational. Or maybe it's somebody that did the very same things with food that I did. And I tell some horrific stories. There's one story where I, I really almost literally choked to death on peanut butter. Um, you know, so there's no, you know, people come into my office and they go, you know, they're so, they've never told anybody this. And I look at them and I go, well, I can't imagine you doing anything worse than I ever did with food, right? I was a dumpster diver, you know, um, I lied. Uh, <laughs> I did all things, all I could do to be with my food, right? And so, uh, so to help you know, to maybe to see that you're not alone with that. I, I just be open, you know, everybody experiences this book a little bit differently. Um, and, um, and to also be open to the science, you know, some people, um, now I have to say that the polyvagal theory is well recognized by trauma circles and, and counselors in, in, um, uh, it's growing, you know, I mean, there's a there's a polyvagal institute conference this fall I'm going to. I mean it's it's becoming a, a pretty big trend. But there are hard scientists out there that still would consider it pseudoscience. Even though uh, Dr. Porges and all these others are, you know, they're professors at universities, I just want to say that it to be open to the science. Um, even though it's something that you haven't heard before, maybe it's not something that you, um, because I think what it can do is explain mm-hmm. some things. That, and that's why clinicians clung to this, because they go, well, this explains what we've been seeing in our mm-hmm. patients mm-hmm. for yeah. decades. Mm-hmm. What it does is it validates the experience that people, when they come in into these rooms for healing, um, into the therapy rooms. And so, and it reduces the shame of the reaction. For instance, and I'll just give a real good example, uh, a good example is that um, when, when a woman is violated or sexually violated and they freeze and they can't speak, mm-hmm. they can't move, They might even dissociate and kind of like watch it from above. And when they're, let's say they're in the court of law and, you know, the defending attorney says, and why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say no? Why didn't you do anything? Well, the polyvagal theory explains that to a T as to what happens to the body when it's so afraid. Mm-hmm. And I give some examples of when I tried to do a ropes challenge course, when I was trying to, to climb a telephone pole <laughs> and yeah. my body froze, I couldn't move. I, I they had to come rescue me. Yeah. So I personally have experienced that. 
And so I think that it's it's a science that you really should be exposed to. I hope people really hear you on this because being open to the science is some is something we've asked of this community for a while with challenging the way you think about what you what you know about your body may actually not be bearing out in the science we now have. So I really uh, want to echo that and just mm-hmm. encourage women to be open to what God is going to speak to them through this and be open to the science and be curious and want to learn. And if, the, if you can come at it with that um, open-mindedness, I know uh, readers are going to get so much out of this book. I'm so excited for uh, them to read it and to join us in November for the book club. Um, could you close us in prayer, Dr. Anderson? I would love for you to pray over the women who are going to go on this journey with us uh, and read your book. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, Lord, I just ask that this book find itself in the hands of the of those that need it. May this be a testimony to you and your um, craftsmanship. Um, your love that you um, that you want people to hear and to really breathe in what you have to offer them, Lord. And I just ask that um, that those that do get their hands on this book, that when they open the pages, I just ask that you comfort them, that you keep them safe, so that they um, they feel. Um, as if you're there with them as they're reading this book, Lord. I ask that um, that you open them to the possibilities and hope. I hope this, that this book is a hope builder um, and also an empowerer of um, at the, their own, um, that they can find their own wisdom um, so that they can be led in a direction for their own owner's manual for their bodies. Um, that it is not a to-do, but a, a possibility of, um, of what their journey is going to look like, Lord. Lord, thank you for um, these facilitators of this podcast, of this book club. I just ask that you bless them. And um, Lord, I just ask that um, just to lay a peace over us um, and give us um, wisdom and direction. And uh, thank you for using me and my story as a vehicle for hope and love. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope you will be joining us for the book club Zoom happening over in our membership site. Mark your calendar for November 8th, 2022 and join us. As a reminder to join the membership program, all you need to do is head over to our podcast website, click the support tab at the top and navigate to our membership site. There you can join the monthly membership program and support our podcast and get yourself access to our many amazing resources just for members, including the monthly coffee dates and this book club. We hope we're going to see you inside the membership for our November 8th book club meeting.